You're listening to the Black Belt Voices Podcast, propagating the richness of Black Southern culture by telling stories from and about Black folks down south. Welcome to another episode of the Black Belt Voices Podcast. I'm Adina White. And I'm Kara Wilkins. In today's episode, we'll tell you how Dr. Karama Neal helped Arkansas be amongst the first in the nation to pass legislation that provides hope for property heirs and how coding goes beyond computers. Dr. Neal shows us how computer science knowledge can apply to everyday life. Dr. Neal is the real deal. She's president of Southern Bank Corps Community Partners, and in this role, she helps people understand that wealth building isn't just for the wealthy. Um, she provides product services and support to help people reach their financial goals. And that's just one of her many facets. Dr. Neal has had a career in basic biosciences. She's a speaker, she's a blogger, and she gave us her origin story when we talked to her recently. All right. So, you know, part of, you know, when you think about like who is, who I, sometimes we define each other for define ourselves in the context of other people. Um, and so I think about that, particularly having, having moved back home, you know, I'm, I'm Janet Cobb's daughter. I'm Fenella Cobb's granddaughter. I'm Molly Neal's daughter. I'm Ioka's mom, Quajo's husband. You know, there are all these folks who, who sort of lay claim to you and you're happy to have them lay claim to you. Um, and then I think that 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 definition also changes, you know, depending on place. And so I can remember going to college in Pennsylvania and really claiming for the first time being Southern and what that meant um, in a very proud kind of way. And that became a real strong part of my identity. And then moving to Atlanta and, you know, where there were a lot of other Southerners, but Arcan- people being from Arkansas was a new thing. And so that that became a, a sort of a, a new um, identifier, or not a new one, but a, a one that was I was much more vocal about. Maybe most um, was the first time I went to Ghana and, um, you know, folks there called me American. And I just I don't know that I'd ever been called just plain American like that with no no adjectives, no nothing. Um, So that was kind of interesting and fun. And I appreciated that as well. Well, I'm I'm going to give her another title because Dr. Neal is my personal shero. I just am in such awe of her and everything that she's accomplished. And it's just such an interesting trajectory to see how she moved from really kind of like, I I can't even describe what it is that she does. I mean, biochemistry, chemistry, sciences, to banking, right? Like those seem Mm -hmm. like things that aren't really connected. And so, again, she just, in my eyes, there's nothing that she can't do. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, she went, she left Arkansas, went to college in Pennsylvania. She got a biology degree, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Then she got a master's in bioethics Uh um, in Chicago at at Loyola University. Mm -hmm. And she told us that she enjoyed her time away from the South, but she eventually found her way back home. And I I know that's true for a lot of Southerners. Like, a lot of us didn't come back, but there's something that pulls you back if you leave. I can't speak about that, but... You know, so she came back home, and we're very grateful for that. And once she got back here, she she taught, right? Yeah, at the Arkansas School for Mathematics and Sciences. And so I think she kind of talks a little bit about um, what that has meant for her. And I know that she goes back and does, like, guest lecturing there. Um, Even now in her current career, she still really cares about the school and going back. And and she loves science. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she... um, she came back to Arkansas, of course, but she, she stayed in the South, but not in Arkansas for a little while. She went to Atlanta for 14 years and earned her degree in genetics from Emory University. Yeah, she's she's just impressive. And then she came back home, and we are grateful to have her here. And she kind of talks about her roots. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my family is rooted here and that's, that's, this is home. And so it was just really nice to be able to move back home. One of the things that, that I think made that move easier for me and maybe feel, made it feel very natural is because my parents who are both um, from Arkansas, my dad's from East Arkansas, my mom's from South Arkansas, they actually met in Chicago. Um, great migration, people moved up and they both did and met there. And I was of course born here in Arkansas. Um, but the fact that they returned back I think was a real model for me, intentionally or unintentionally, the, the fact that they saw worth and saw value in this place, in this region, and moved back to Arkansas and moved back to the South at a time, frankly, when a lot of other folks weren't doing that. Um, you see a lot of data now that talks about Black folks moving from the North to the South, um, that sort of reverse migration. There's been a, been a lot of sort of publicity and press about that in recent years. But at the time, in the late, very late 60s and early 70s, that was definitely not the phenomenon at all. People were still moving up North. And yet they had been there and, and done that and then come back home. Um, and so when I decided, my family decided to come back home, that felt very natural. It felt very right because they had provided that model for me. In 2013, Dr. Neal started a statewide grassroots organization promoting passage of the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act. She told us why she started this project and why it's needed. Like so many families, you have, you know, family land. Um, and, and my family has some of that in, in, in South Arkansas. And, you know, growing up, we would visit every now and then and, you know, go check out my great uncle's cows, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So we always had a good time doing that. And I can remember, you know, my, my grandmother collecting taxes from all her first cousins so that we'd have enough money, they'd have enough money to pay the taxes. So it was always sort of a known entity. It was just a thing. We had this land. We didn't have a whole lot of people living or doing anything much on it, but it was our property um, as a family, as a collective unit. My mother was born there. My grandmother was born there. My great-grandmother was born there. My great-great-grandfather bought it um, after he got out of slavery. And so a source of, you know, just comfort and pride. It was nice to be able to go and stand, stand foot on the place where, where you had so much family history. So after my grandmother died and then many years later after my mom died, it sort of occurred to me that, you know, now I'm really there. This is not just sort of somebody else's property, something else for them to deal with. It's actually mine. Like, I, I have an ownership interest in this property. And like my mom did and other relatives have done before, I sort of said, well, what can we do to make this better? How can we make this a real asset um, for our family, for for the community at large? And start trying to find relatives and build a family tree and do all the things that one has to do, frankly, to have a clear title. Because what we had really was air property. Air property is undivided property. So it's been passed down informally from generation to generation such that um, – you know, over time, what you have is a number of people, a number of often relatives owning that property jointly. So nobody owns, you can't go over to this area and say, oh, that's Cousin Sue's over here and this part over here is Cousin Joe's. Everyone owns it all together. So you're all kind of in there together, which is nice in some ways because it, it builds that family unity and you definitely have to work together. But as you can imagine, it can also be challenging. And yeah, I can see why that would be challenging, not knowing who owns what and trying to divide that up because it's it's a big deal for a lot of financial reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even if you're thinking about how could the family use it as collateral for, or for, for financing, well, everybody has to agree on that because nobody has sole ownership of it. Or if in case of a disaster, which I can um, actually talk about, my family right now is experiencing that my grandma owned land in Pinnacle Valley and with the recent flood, um, her house was kind of destroyed. And so now we're going through the process of doing um, kind of a, a joint land trust because, again, it's 
we have to figure out what to do and how to have ownership so we can make sure that as we move forward, we know what to do with that land. And even just development, if you want to build a house, if you want to build a store, if you want to build whatever you want to build on it, who owns it to be Mm -hmm. able to build on it? And even collecting those property taxes, you know, you yes. cousin so-and-so ain't going to pay mm-hmm. and someone else has to cover their part. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, even that little tiny part, I know that's frustrating. Yeah. So Dr. Neal, she she thought about all of this and she talked to her dad about it back in 2013. He's a he's an attorney, well-known attorney. And he brought up some valid points saying that it's almost impossible to divide the land equally, especially in a situation like theirs and many other families where there are so many heirs. Mm-hmm. So... Who will get the part down by the road? Right. Who will get the part by the house? Right. Who gets the house? Uh-huh. Who gets the part with the trees? Uh-huh. And how do you divvy up the money? Exactly. So oftentimes the land ended up being sold at a value less than it's worth. Yeah. And I think you see that with a lot of black families um, because, again, just like Dr. Neal spoke about, this isn't anything that's, you know, kind of just unique to the Neal family. I think that there's a lot of families in the South experiencing these challenges. And if we don't know the laws, we don't know the rules, we don't know the regulations, that's when you run across all of these issues that also lead to not only legal challenges, but internal family strife. Mm-hmm. Dr. Neal thought about that and she didn't want to give up. So, when he told me that, I was like, oh, I probably don't need to do this because if I find a relative, you know, I love them, they're my cousins and such, but you find one who is decides that they are more interested in getting their financial interest in the property out, we could end up losing the property. Um, and we've had it all this time. I don't want to risk that. And so I really felt like at that point, really felt as an, at an impasse. It was difficult to know how to move forward in terms of, of making the property a real asset. <laughs> And without risking the property. And so you really couldn't you couldn't do one or the other. You couldn't develop it and you couldn't go try to develop it because it, it, that would that would put the property at risk. Um, and so just sort of Googling around, I found uh, out about work that was being done to to um, promote the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act. It's called Uniform because it's written by the Uniform Law Commission. They're based in Chicago and they are um, they uh, create model legislation that um, they hope will be passed in, in all the states so that, you know, everybody, all states do things a little bit differently, but some things, the ideas ought to be fairly similar from one state to the other. And so they create these, these pieces of model legislation that they hope will be passed in multiple states. So when I found this, this, this um, the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act, and other people have been doing some work on it in Arkansas as well already, um, it was clear that if that legislation were, were passed, it would help families like mine. I knew there were many other families like mine. We certainly aren't the only ones. Um, it would help families like ours be able to move forward and have uh, actually be able to find family members, clear the title and, and move that property forward. And it does that by doing things like providing, uh, requiring an appraisal before land is sold, doing things like requiring a first right of refusal. So if someone says, you know what, I want my money out. I don't, I don't want to, you know, we're still going to be cousins, still come to the family reunion, but I don't want to deal with this property thing then the family members as a whole can buy that one person out, which is a lot more feasible to do in terms of being able to gather the cash together to do that than it might be to buy the entire property at all, which is typically what would happen um, in, in, before, in the absence of this kind of legislation. In 2015, the legislation passed with no opposition, and the governor signed off making Arkansas the fifth state in the country to pass legislation like this. Since then, 12 more states, D.C., and the Virgin Islands have signed similar legislation, 
And this isn't just for southern or agricultural states. It can be an issue anywhere where there's a lack of estate planning. In recent years, as other states have passed, particularly other southern states have passed, it really just strengthens, I think, Arkansas's position to hold on to this legislation and continue to develop and strengthen it. Um, because you see other folks saying, well, Arkansas can do it. All these other states, can do it. we can do it, too. Um, and so I think that that puts us in a really good position. But it is it's, it's really good. It, is, it has meant a lot for for the families who um, have been able to take advantage of it. The fact that I can go and, and set foot on the place where my mother was born and my grandmother was born and my great grandmother was born. Like, that's not something most of my friends from college who are black can do. I mean, it's just not. <laughs> and so the fact that I can do that. Um, and the fact that you all can do that and others can do that where you, you know, you have this family land is not trivial. And I think, you know, when we think about what that means, how to think about those assets, what those means that what that means, that asset can mean not just in the current generation, but what that can mean for future generations. Right. So my great great grandfather, well, the story was that he wanted he wanted his family to always have a place to call home. And so he he thought he was this up in a way so that the land could never be sold. That wasn't true, but that's what he thought he was doing because he wanted his family to all have, always have a place to call home. My guess is most of us aren't rushing to go live in this town of, of 89 people, right? It's the, and it, it can be an asset to our future generations. So I think that is a really important piece and it's something that that is prevalent in the South. And, and I think really critically, important for our relatives who don't live in the South anymore, right? They're, they're co-heirs as well. And so they may be living all over the country they still have an interest in that property in Conway County, that property, property in Hempstead County, wherever it is, they still have that interest. And if if that property can be developed and be maintained and be meaningful for their descendants as well, because they're part of the family too, that binds them to this place um, in a way that is, I think, really important, both sentimentally and frankly, economically as well. Grandma Neal's mission is to promote equity of opportunity for all people. And that includes her educational initiative, IFE Opportunity, it's a Yoruba word that means expansion or expanding. We mentioned she used to teach at the Arkansas School for Mathematics and Science, and she actually taught chemistry during the charter year of the school. Um, and Dr. Neal sh- says that there's still a teacher in her. I think, um, like I said, she still goes back and she does one-hour code workshops and has put together tutorials and a workbook session teaching folks the rudimentary steps around coding, which has been a big initiative in Arkansas. Many people may not realize coding can also have applications in other areas of their life. I think coding can teach logic. It can teach um, uh, teach you how to sort of unveil your assumptions because a computer is only going to do what you tell it to do. And so if you think you're telling it to do it, but you're not actually telling it, it's not going to do it. And so that kind of thing, that kind of logic, that kind of ordered step, that can be very helpful in, in thinking scientifically and in writing and com- in composing an argument. So those kinds of skills can be really transferable. So I've had a good time. Um, we've done two of those workshops. I guess maybe three of those workshops now where we've done um, – Taught kids and sometimes taught kids and their parents at the same time, which has been really fun too. Um, some some basic coding kinds of skills. Dr. Neal and her husband also have many libraries across Little Rock, and what they've done is they've used the newspaper boxes that were donated by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And if you're in Arkansas, you've heard that our statewide paper is going completely digital by t- January 2020. So those big yellow boxes where you get the paper, they are becoming like you know phone booths. They're a thing of the past now. So what they're using those for, they're filling them with donated books from community members. Just keep them filled up and people take books. And that's been that's been really fun. Um, we live fairly near to an elementary 
school. And so it's nice to see, we'll sometimes go out and you'll see kids walking to school and they'll get some books on the way. Uh, we put them one near our church. My husband's a teacher, we have one near his school, um, have one near a boys and girls club in Little Rock. So that's been a really fun sort of initiative as well. Um, to do that. And folks, again, have been very generous in donating books. They, they tend to clean out their, clean out their bookshelves and, and come back and drop them off um, for us. It's been fun to be able to donate that stuff. And we do you know, other little things. We'll do, I've done an astronomy workshop that was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we'll do, I have, have uh, my daughter plays piano. Sometimes I'll arrange hymns and we'll do, um, I'll, I'll I've, sometimes we'll sell those arrangements uh, through EFA opportunities. A big part of it is just committing to looking for those opportunities. So for years, starting about 2004, it's pretty much on the early edge, edge of, of blogging. I started a blog called So What Can I Do, which is really designed to answer exactly that question. Like, what can I do? Um, my friends and I would get together. I was living in Atlanta at the time. We'd get together and have dinner parties and and sometimes just end up complaining. It would just, you know, degenerate. Into, oh, this isn't working. This isn't, you know, folks don't do this. And we can't figure out how to make this better. And I kind of just all the complaining and figured, okay, let's talk to complain. Let's figure out what can we do. And so that blog was born in 2004 and I kept it up for a number of years. I stopped blogging around 2009 or so, but it's still up. And in 2014, I did a 10th anniversary ebook, um, which I have available as well, which has been a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to sort of compile and go back over those old posts and, and pull together ones that I felt still had a lot of relevance. Um, but, you know, it can be any number of things. I think the key is just to figure out what you can, you know, what someone can get comfortable with um, and then, you know, push yourself, you know, get push yourself from there. So, you know, it can be anything from, you know, um, thinking about where you strategically donate your resources, you know, if you have home to, you know, where you're going to write those checks. Um, but of course, everything that can solve by checks, sometimes you need people and you need engagement. And so there's numerous ways to do that. My family and I will sometimes and go gleaning with the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance. They they have um, beds of vegetables that they plant and they need folks to go pick them so that they can donate those and provide those to folks who um, might not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. So my, my daughter and I will go out and, and glean. So let's see. So far, Dr. Neal has shown that she's a scientist, an educator, a banker, a librarian, a blogger, and a community advocate. She talks about taking public transportation in her lived experiences, and it's something that she did a lot when she lived in larger cities. So she thought, why not here? So I found out, you know, where to get the tickets and how, how it works, and I was like, you know what, this is not my grandmother's old bus. The bus has free Wi-Fi. I was talking with somebody from San Francisco, and they were shocked by that. Like, your bus, your public bus has free Wi-Fi? I was like, yes, it does. It has free Wi-Fi on that bus ride? Um, the bus ticket, I did the math. And so the bus ticket costs, it costs me, if I were going to drive at the reimbursement rate, current reimbursement rate now from the IRS, it would cost me $4 to drive to work. It cost me $4 to drive to work. On the days when I can take the bus, it cost me $1.35. So that's, you know, that's a much better deal, especially if I can work the whole way and, and be caught up on email, be rested, relaxed when I get there. Um, you know, I walk a little bit to the bus and that gives you a little bit of exercise. So if I'm going to walk regularly, that that's helpful too. And of course it burns less energy. <laughs> Becca Green, uh, if you're listening, Becca's been a big supporter of this podcast and she is public engagement director at Rock Region Metro, the, the transit system here in Little Rock. And, and yeah, she will be very excited to hear this because she's always talking about, we need to really tap into our public transportation more in Little Rock. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this goes to show that she, 
Dr. Neal is also an environmentalist. Yes. <laughs> and is thinking about how can we help, you know, make sure we reduce our, our I guess, carbon footprint in um, these different ways. And I, I can attest, we live in the same neighborhood, and I've definitely seen her walking to the bus. So it's pretty cool to see someone who's a VP or a president at a company really leaning into taking public transportation and thinking about, you know, what are some innovative ways that you can be, you can help the community, you know, even if it seems small by taking the bus. Taking the bus, donating blood, gleaning vegetables for the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance. Those are just some of the ideas she gave on how you can make a difference in your community. Uh, You can go to Dr. Neal's website at karamaneal.com for a link to her blog called So What Can I Do? When you're feeling helpless, there's there's plenty of things you can do to make a small impact in your community. Complain less. Act more. It's called Call and Response, and we just got a couple of questions for you just to answer. What is what is your favorite soul food? Um, sweet potatoes mm-hmm. in any format. That, so, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah. They can be sweet potato fries. Sweet, I like sweet potatoes. Oh, anyway. Yeah. yeah any any kind of <laughs> sound like my son, except for, for him, it's just regular potatoes. Any form. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm trying to get him on the sweet. Um, what's a nickname? What's a nickname your parents used to call you? Oh, you know, everybody was really against nicknames, except, and, and the only one that sort of ever um, got any traction was my dad, and he calls me Casey. For Karama Carol, so, and I still get that occasionally for him. Okay, hey, I like, I like that. What do you wish people knew or understood about the South? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I think understanding really our diversity and mm-hmm. understanding for who it is now is really critical. Both of those things, and I think they're they're sort of linked, right? I mean, I think people oftentimes operate with a stereotype about the South that is wasn't correct then for wherever whenever it was based and it's certainly not correct now um and that really um uh, limits frankly people's ability oftentimes to engage the south appropriately engage people from the south appropriately so i think just really sort of recognizing who we are right now um the diversity of folks that are here in in all and i didn't diversity broadly um ethnicity, gender, political issues, like all all kinds of ways in which there's a wide variety of people here who are active and engaged in their lives and being, you know, productive, wonderful human beings. And sometimes that gets obscured, but that doesn't mean that we're not here. Um, and so I think that's that, that would be really helpful if people recognize who we are. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, what do you love most about living here in the South? Oh, I like the weather. I like the, I like our culture. Um, um, you know, my husband is not from the South. So he sometimes makes fun of me because I say hi to people like 50,000 times and tell the same stories over and over again. But that's how you remember <laughs> them, right? That's how you make them good. I, I think about those things that I missed when I, when I didn't live in the South. And I think, you know, it was, it was this sort of notion of, of closeness that one can have, even with folks, frankly, that you don't even know, um, the ways that you can engage people. Um, strangers oftentimes, and that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal. It doesn't mean your necessarily best friends are going to be, but it doesn't mean you, as my grandmother say, even a dog will speak, right? So, you, you know, you, you engage folks and you, and I mean, I, I really appreciate that about just which Southern people can interact um, and often do. 
in and in ways that sometimes I didn't see in other parts of the country. Last question: What's something awesome that has happened in your life recently? What is awesome? <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm running. I was run through the, the things that have come to my head. So one is that um, it's been really fun. I've just recently discovered the International Space Station has a, a an email list where they'll tell you when the space station is is flying over you, and oh. so like tonight, and so you can just you can look up there and there these people. It's like a football uh, stadium size thing that's up there, and people are living up there. Have been living up there for years, oh, and no it's way. just kind of nice just to look at them and see and just I mean I know it's not fully but it's it's it it makes me smile it makes me sort of um feel a, a sort of small but but part of something much larger that that you know that we're out there you know sometimes you look up yeah. and see you know the moon and planets and stars and but then to see us is kind of cool too you know us being humans being mm-hmm. orphans right right um, oh, so right. actually I was out for my evening walk tonight and was thinking about that because it, it made a pass through over Little Rock tonight. Um, so that was kind of cool. That's that's really yeah. random. So no, I love that. I feel, like, I feel like I'm really old because I'm like, man, this is the future. <laughs> I didn't well, know it's cool. Like it really, it's a neat thing. They'll send you an email and tell you where it's going to come up in the sky and how long it's going to be visible and where to look. And then you look and there's mm. a little dot that's going back. Oh, there they are. And I wave at them, but you know. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's cool. That is something else. I need to I need to sign up for that. It's it's kind of cool. And we thank Dr. Cromaniel for coming on the Black Belt Voices podcast. You can follow her on Twitter at Caramanil. That's K-A-R-A-M-A-N-E-A-L. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms, including Spotify and Google Play. This episode was recorded at the Central Arkansas Library System's Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art. It is a very cool space if you haven't been here. Um, It was edited and produced by Katrina Dupins with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr., Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit BlackBeltVoices.com. We'll see you in a few weeks.